All right, H12, how are we doing tonight? Yes, awesome, man. I'm so pumped to see all of you. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we do this every single Wednesday night from 7 to 8.30. It's called H12, and it is awesome. It's like my favorite, favorite part of the week. Hey, for those of you that are like brand new and you've never been here before, um, then uh, we just want to welcome you. I think we're good with the pens. I think we're good. Thanks, man. Um, we just want to welcome you. We're so pumped that you're hanging out with us. We actually have a room just for you if this is your first time. It's like right out of these doors to the right of the Starbucks. It's called our VIP room, and it's awesome. We got a lot of free stuff that we want to give you just as our way of saying thanks for hanging out. Now, the rest of you know that we're in this series called School Wars, and I love this series. Many of you know this. This is kind of our bottom line of the series. It's a series about tough competitions and even tougher questions, tough competitions, and even tougher questions. And throughout this series, I've been talking up the University of Georgia. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we're not quite as excited this Wednesday as we were before. Thank you. Who was that? There we go, Jack. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, hey, I'm a diehard fan, win or lose. Uh, but I've been talking about the fact that this was our year and maybe not so much. So um, some of you may know uh, a guy named Thomas Haswell. Thomas, where's he at? There's Thomas. Thomas, uh, Tom, there's so many good things about Thomas. Unfortunately, he's a South Carolina fan. That's kind of his one drawback. And uh, anyways, here's what I noticed, Thomas. I noticed that during the game, there was no talking to old Steve Walton. But then the second that game ended, I got a phone call from Thomas, which I did not answer because I was very angry and I was not in a good place spiritually. You know what I'm saying? And uh, anyways, he noticed I didn't uh, pick up the phone. So then he sends me this text right here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that is the head coach of the University of South Carolina. And it says, Darth Spurrier strikes back. And this... I, Thomas, I wish you knew the pain that this caused me because you combined my least favorite coach with my favorite movie. How could you do that, Thomas? It hurts. Cuts deep, man. Anyways, and so uh, obviously I was a little upset because going into it, I was confident. I was confident. I was sure that UGA was going to win. And uh, I have a few reasons. And so I, because I have the stage, I'm going to give you all the reasons I feel like UGA should have won. So number one, UGA should have won because UGA was ranked number six. And USC was ranked number 24. Now, 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 here's the deal. You don't have to know much about football to know that number six is better than number 24. And so clearly we should have won. Uh, here's the next reason. USC, South Carolina, they already lost a game. It was very early in the season and they lost. And so I thought, dude, they've lost. They're going to lose again. And I was wrong. Uh, and then uh, here's the next one. Todd Gurley. Right? Heisman hopeful. He like just ran all over Clemson. I'm like, he's going to do it again. This is awesome. This is our year. Obviously, Todd Gurley is going to win. And, uh, and then the final reason we should have won is because UGA is the greatest school ever. Amen. That's right. Yeah. RT, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's, that's really the reason. And so going into the game, I was sure we were going to win. And then at the very end, I felt something that many UGA fans felt across the country. I felt this disappointment, right? It's like, it's like when your parents uh, are like upset with you and then they say the thing where they're like, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. You know what I'm saying? This is how I felt about UGA. It was like, UGA, I love you, but I'm just disappointed. 
right? Like I was upset, disappointed. And, and I think if we were to be honest, many times this is the way we feel towards God. And it comes out in our questions that we ask God. This is a series about tougher questions. And um, many of you have been posting on ask.fm slash school wars, and you've been putting like your real life questions, stuff that you actually struggle with. And a lot of times these questions have to do with disappointment. God, I thought you were going to show up. I thought you were going to do something. I thought you were going to answer that prayer. And then he didn't. Maybe, maybe at one time, like you and God were really close, and now you've kind of drifted apart, and you're disappointed, and you're upset. And so here's the questions we're going to talk about tonight, and we're actually going to answer these questions. Um, number one, how do I know God hears my prayers? A lot of times you're disappointed because you're thinking that God is ignoring your prayers. How do I know? How do I know God hears my prayers? Next one, why don't I feel God like I used to? Why don't I feel God like I used to? And then finally, where is God when it hurts? Now, uh, we're going to talk about all these questions, but before we do, I think uh, I want to kind of lay some groundwork because if we're talking about disappointment with God, I think it's understand that we understand, like, who we're disappointed with. Like, like we got to know who we're actually disappointed with. And so when we talk about God, the thing you got to know before we answer any of these questions, you got to know this. You got to know God is bigger than you. He's bigger than you. See, see, God is not some little like field goal kicker that didn't quite get it. You know what I'm saying? That's how it was with UGA. It's just a guy who's kind of like me. He's a little bit younger than I actually am. No, God, this God that you're disappointed with is bigger than you. He's eternal. He's everlasting. He's smarter than you. He's stronger than you. He can do things you've never thought of. When you like take your telescope and you look up at the sky, you see all the stars. God made that. God engineered it. It was his idea. Laughter was his thought. It came to his brain and he said, let's do that. So God is bigger than you are. This is not, oh, I'm disappointed with a little tiny. No, no, no. You're disappointed with a mega, huge, big God. He's bigger than you. In fact, here's the way one, one writer put it. Um, he was, he was kind of thinking about the fact that other people were doubting God, that other people were questioning God, that other people were disappointed with God. And so he says, why do the nations say, where is their God? In other words, God, where are you at? How come you haven't shown up? Seems like God left the building. I'm disappointed. Why do they say that? And then he goes on, he says this. He says, our God, he says, I'll answer the question for you. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. In other words, you're questioning a big old God. And so when you start thinking about these questions, you have to know, you have to know, God is not some tiny little football player. Now he's huge. He's big. He's bigger than you. And so that's what you got to know. You got to make sure you know that. Otherwise, the answer to these questions uh, won't make much sense. Okay, so that's kind of the groundwork. Here's the first question we're going to be talking about. How do I know that God actually hears my prayers? Now, here's the cool thing about this one. This question is actually really easy to answer. The reason it's easy to answer is because it's all over Scripture. The answer to that question is all over Scripture. And the reason we look at Scripture, we talked about this the first week, is because we believe that Scripture is actually God's Word. Like, it's, it's God speaking to you. So if you want to know what God is like, look in Scripture. And so I could, like, list out five or six. I actually had five or six that I was going to show you, but it was going to be really repetitive because they all pretty much say the same thing. There's literally, like, like tens, if not hundreds of verses that answer this question, but I'm just going to show you two. So here they are. How do I know that God hears? Here's one. Psalm 34, 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. He heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 
And then here's another one. The Lord hears when I call him. And so this question is actually really easy to answer. The answer is because he does. God hears your prayers. Like, how do I know? How do I know that God actually hears my prayers? He does. Like, that's it. Like, as we look in scripture over and over again, you see examples of God actually answering your prayers. But there's a reason that we feel a tension in this. There's a reason that even though I tell you, yeah, yeah, God hears your prayers, you still feel a little uneasy. And the reason is because sometimes it feels like God's ignoring you. Sometimes it feels like you pray and your prayers are like hitting the ceiling because nothing happens. And I think that there's a question like beneath the question. I think the question is this. Why does God say no to my prayers? Not not does God hear my prayers, because he does. He does. But if he actually does hear my prayers and he considers them and then he gives them an answer, then why does he say no to my prayers? And I I think there's two main reasons. Here they are. Number one, he knows it's bad for you. Okay, he knows it's bad for you. And then next, he has something better for you. There's two reasons that God says no to your prayers. One, he, uh, he knows it's bad for you. And number two, he's got something better for you. But here's the deal. God says no to my prayers for you. It's because of you. The reason God says no is because any good dad would say no. See, the thing that we miss whenever we pray to God and talk to God is that God isn't some mysterious, unknowable being. God wants to be your heavenly father. And so the way he answers these questions is as a dad. And maybe not exactly like your dad, but like a perfect dad. And so he says no for you. Number one, he knows that it's bad for you. And here's, here's, here's kind of one example, because sometimes we ask God for something, and then God says no because of this, because it's bad for you. And here's uh, an example in Scripture, James 4.3. By the way, all these Scriptures that we're looking at, they're actually at the top of your notes, so you can take those homes, and you can, uh, you can kind of follow along with it. So James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive. Not God doesn't hear you. No, 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 he hears you, but he's not giving that to you, right? He says, nah. To that. So when you ask, you do not receive, and here's why, because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, when you're asking God for something, God looks at that certain request, and he says, no, because it's not good for you. Ladies, some of you in the room are like, man, I just, I just wish he would notice me. And God's looking at you, and you're like, are you serious? Like, you want him to notice you. Have you seen the girls that he notices, right? Have you seen how heartbroken they are? Have you seen how much guilt and shame they have? I don't want that for you. So I'm saying no. I'm going to make sure he doesn't pay. And like guys, there's some of you in the room that are like, man, I just wish, I wish she would like, I wish she would say yes to me. I wish she would notice me. And God's looking at you and he's like, bro, she's crazy. Like, no, like you don't, trust me, you don't want her, like I'm working on her, okay? It's gonna take some time. We're like processing things together, but you don't want her. You gotta believe me, man. That is just like chaos entering your life and I love you too much to let you have her, okay? So the answer is no. And you can beg and you can plead, but it's no because I know as your dad, she's bad for you. He's bad for you. That's bad for you because ultimately God cares about you. 
Because God is your dad and he's looking at you and he says, I'm saying no for you. But then there's some of you in the room that you're asking for good things, things that aren't bad for you, right? Like some of you have a, have a mom who's sick and you've been praying and asking, it seems like God's saying no. Some of you have a broken friendship that just isn't being restored and you're asking God for that. And it seems like he's saying no. Some of you are depressed or anxious and you're asking God. And it seems like he's saying no. Did, did you know that, that Jesus, like son of God, king of kings, big old like God here on earth, Jesus prayed to God, like he prayed to God, like you and I prayed to God. Did you know that one time he prayed to God and God said no? And it wasn't because he prayed for the wrong thing. It's not, it's not because God was saying, no, that's bad for you, because Jesus was perfect. What he prayed for was good. But God still said no. See, it was as Jesus was being led to be crucified. And he knew that his death was only a few hours away. And so he's anxious and he's praying to God and he's asking God, God, would you take the cross away? Take it away. I don't, I don't want to do that. And this is actually what he prays. This is in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. He says, Father, talking to his dad, recognizing that God is his dad. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, this cup of suffering. In other words, God, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you for something right now. Like, there is a yes, no to this question. And this question that I'm asking you is, God, would you take the cross away? Take this cup of suffering away from me. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And God looked at Jesus and said no. And he said no, not because Jesus was asking for something bad, but because God had something better in store. See, Jesus was crucified, even though he prayed that that wouldn't happen. But then after Jesus died, three days later, he was resurrected, alive again, unlike anything that had ever happened before. And so the reason God said no to Jesus is because he had a resurrection on the other side. And many of you are struggling and you're hurting and you're praying to God and you're saying, God, just do this. And maybe for you, God has a resurrection on the other side. Maybe as you pray and you ask God, God's saying, as your dad, I need you to trust me. I have something better for you. So that's why God says no. That's why God says no. All right, so here is, here's the next question. Um, why don't I feel God like I used to? Now this one is, um, this one's pretty crazy because I think there's many of you in the room that have, that have felt this question, but maybe have been too afraid to ask it, right? Because like you were like super close to God and uh, maybe it was like a few months ago that you accepted Jesus as your savior and you and God were like buddy, buddy. And like that night that like you accepted Jesus, your world was amazing. Like somehow your parents were awesome that night and it was like, yeah, this is amazing. And then you're hanging out with your friends and all your friends are like just happy with you and then you come here on Wednesday and you're like, dude, I'm feeling it. And then the band comes up and they start singing and you're like, I love this song. And like everything is going your way and you're feeling God and everything is great. And then a few months later, it's like that feeling goes away. And it's not there like it used to be. And you're like, no, no, no. But like there was a time where I used to feel God, but I don't, 
I don't feel him anymore. And maybe the reason you've been afraid to ask this question is because you feel like you're all alone. And the good news for you is that you're not all alone. I've actually, I've actually felt this way before, many times. There's many times where I haven't felt God like I used to. In fact, it's not just me and you. It's also throughout Scripture. You look at every major person in Scripture, and they go through a season where they doubt God or they feel like he's not as close to them as he used to be. In fact, here's just a few quick examples. It's from Psalm 22. It's a guy named David who was like the king of Israel. He, he had a heart after God, considered a man after God's own heart. And this is what he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that doesn't sound like someone that's feeling God. Why have you forsaken me? I cry out by day, but you do not answer. You don't answer. And then later, Psalm 42, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? In other words, it's like, God, you left the building. Where, where, man, I thought we were close. And now I'm not feeling it anymore. And I think there's two main reasons that you don't feel God the way you used to. Number one is you backed away. And number two, God backed away. But see, there's distance between you and God, and someone moved. Someone moved. So either you backed away, or God backed away. But I know that someone moved. Um, there, was a, there was a buddy of mine who I got to meet for coffee uh, a few years ago. And he was engaged to be married to this beautiful woman, and uh, we were all excited about the wedding. Uh, the invitations had already been sent out. And a few months before the wedding, he... Uh, he called the whole thing off. And he was heartbroken and confused, and she was heartbroken and confused, and the families were confused. Like, everyone who had the invitation was, was like, what's, like, what's happening? And I finally got a chance to sit down and have coffee with him, and so I asked him, I was like, dude, what's going on? He said, I, you know, I was getting closer to the wedding day, and, um, and I wasn't feeling God like I used to. And I started to ask God, God, do you want me to marry her? And I felt like there was silence on the other end. And there was distance between me and God. And I didn't know what to do. And then he looks at me, and, and, and the wedding is still supposed to be like two months from now. And he says, so what do I do? Do I marry her or not? And I'm looking at him. I'm like, like I, I can't answer that question for you. And then, and then I started to pry, and I started to ask and I found out that for the past year, he had not opened scripture once, and he had not prayed to God once. And now, close to his wedding day, he decides that he wants to talk to God again, and he realizes that there's distance between him and God, and it cost him. But the reason there was distance is because he backed away. It's because he ignored God. See, God is your heavenly father, and he loves you. But if you want to run away, sometimes he lets you. And the results are devastating. And so this guy walked away. He ran away from God. He backed away. And then he realized there was distance. And the reason he wasn't feeling God like he used to is because he was the one that backed away. And this is what scripture says we need to do if you find yourself in that position. James 4.8 says, come near to God. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. In other words, you've moved. You've backed away. And James is saying, come back. 
come back to God. And there's some of you in the room that it was like two years ago, and you said yes to Jesus, but then since then you've kind of ignored God. And it's been about two years, or it's been a year, or maybe a few months since you've been in church. It's been a while since you opened Scripture. And now you're wondering, why don't I feel God like I used to? Maybe, maybe it's because you backed away. It's because you ignored him. And now you're not feeling him. But, but I know there's some of you in the room that you still, like, you don't feel God. You don't feel God, even though you've been chasing after him. Even though you've been reading scripture. It's, it, like, it almost feels, and you're almost like afraid to say this, it almost feels like God backed away. Like, I, man, I've been chasing after him, but God backed away. And this is like, this is a weird topic, and I've been trying to think of how to describe it because I haven't heard many pastors actually talk about this because it's not a popular thing to stand up here on stage and say that God backed away from you. Um, but I have news for you. It's possible that God backed away from you. It's possible that God backed away from you. And here's what I mean. Um, so, so I've been married uh, to my beautiful wife, Catherine, for a little over seven years. Uh, she is awesome. Uh, we don't have any kids yet, um, yet, but, uh, but one day, hopefully, you know, we hope to. Uh, so I don't know this from personal experience, but I have a lot of friends that have kids, and I've seen movies, right? So, I, um, so I've seen the first steps happen before. And when you're like, when you've got a kid, and you're like raising up your kid, and you're trying to get him to take your first steps, what you do is you, you kind of like, you know, you kind of bend down like this, and you get your kid to like stand up on his own. You know, and then maybe after a few weeks or a few months of like having the leg muscles where he can stand on his own, you know, you can do this. And oh my gosh, this is awesome, this is awesome. And then one day you realize that his legs are strong enough that he may be able to take his first step. And so any parent, any loving parent does this. They get the kid up and then they go and they take a step back. And they do that because they want their kid to walk towards them. And then when the kid walks towards them, they celebrate, oh my gosh, that was amazing. You took a step. That was, un okay. And then they stand up their kid again. And they back away a few more steps. And then they say, come here. And it's possible that your heavenly father has backed away from you. And he's saying to you, come here. Come here. I want you to walk towards me. Like I want you to use your spiritual leg muscle and walk towards me and then maybe you walk towards him and then maybe he takes a few steps back but he doesn't take a step back because he doesn't love you he takes a step back because he is your father he's your father and he loves you and he wants you to walk and so God wants you to seek after him he wants you to chase after him and this is so huge. This is, this is what you need to know. Your relationship with God, your relationship with God is sought, not caught. Your relationship with God is sought, not caught. In other words, God wants you to chase after him. Not just sit back and say, all right, God, I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. What do you have for me today? No, he wants you to actually chase after him. A relationship with God is sought, not caught. And if you're worried that like you're going to go further than God has gone, then you're wrong, okay? Because God sent his only son to this earth, died on the cross, chased after you, brought you here, brought you in a family, brought you in a church so that you could hear about him. I promise you God has sought you way more than you could ever know. 
But like a dad, he is backing away to say, come here, come here. And, 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 and you see this throughout scripture, a relationship with God is sought, not caught. This is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse. Um, and it's, it's, it's from these guys called the sons of Korah. And I don't really know what Korah is, but apparently it's a bunch of dudes hanging out in Korah. So they wrote this, okay? And they said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Now, this is so good. If you've ever been, like, chastised for talking to yourself, don't worry, because this guy did it, okay? And, and, and more specifically, he actually talked to his soul, which is weird. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, if you do, just don't do that in public, because it's kind of weird. Okay, but this guy starts talking to his soul, and he says, soul. Why are you downcast? Why are you upset? Why aren't you feeling God? So why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Then he says, put your hope in God. Now this is so cool because he's commanding. This is a commandment. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. Put your hope in God. And you know who he's commanding? His soul. He's talking to his soul. He says, why are you messed up? Why aren't you feeling God? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to chase after God. I want you to just, just chase after him. I want you to put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Man, even if I don't feel it, I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Man, there have been, there have been times where like on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, I've, I've, I've walked in, and it's been like a beautiful day, you know? And like, it's like high of 72, and the wind is blowing, and the sun is out, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. And like pumpkin spice latte is out, and you're like, dude, this is like the greatest day of my life. And all your friends are like happy with you. And then you come here, and they're playing like your favorite song, right? Like your love never fails. Never. And so like you're just feeling God. And you raise your hands, you're like, yeah, God is awesome, man. I love it. I'm feeling it. Your love never fails. And, and you're like doing the sway, and you're just like going after it. But then there have been times where it's been a miserable day. <laughs> it's been a miserable month. Maybe for you, maybe even a miserable year. And maybe that morning you sat down and you opened your Bible and you prayed to God, but it felt like you were talking to an empty room. And you're not feeling God the way you used to and your friend's upset with you and you're upset with you and your soul is just like depressed inside of you. And then you walk in and, there's, and, and, and the band starts to play the song. There have been times where the band begins to play and I raise my hands, I say, here's the deal, soul. I don't care. I don't care what you've been through today. I don't care that you're not feeling God. This is what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna praise God because he deserves it and because I love him. I will yet praise him for he is my savior and my God and I don't feel it, but I know he's there and I'm chasing after him. God, your love never fails. It never runs out on me. And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if, if God is looking at those two situations, I almost think he's more pleased with the second one. That even when we're not feeling it, we say, listen, soul, we're gonna praise God. That's what we're gonna do. Even if I'm not feeling it, I'm chasing after God because I know that my God is my heavenly father and he is looking at me saying, come here. Come here. And so this maybe is what you need to do. Maybe for you, you're not feeling God. But the whole time God is asking you to draw near to him. 
Now, um, the next question we're going to talk about, this is a question that actually uh, I did, uh, all these questions came in on the ask.fm. Um, but this one, this one I want to talk about because it uh, kind of broke my heart a little bit. Uh, I said, why did God put me in this family and make me feel like this? And I don't know, like, I don't know what you imagine my uh, life is like or my job is like or kind of what I do. Uh, but when I see stuff like this, man, it like, it ruins me because um, I care about you guys. And, uh, and again, I don't know, it's, it's all anonymous, so I don't know who wrote that. I know it's someone, and I'm sure they're not the only one that's asking this question. And so you're hurting and you're in pain and you're looking at God and you're saying, God, why? Why'd you do this? Why did God put me in this family and make me feel like this? And the answer, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why God does some of the stuff that he does. Remember Psalm 115? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. I don't know. But I do know that beneath this question, there's a question that I think all of us struggle with, which is this. Where is God when it hurts? Maybe for you it's your family. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's just your own depression that you're struggling with, but you're hurting and you're asking, where is God? Where is God when it hurts? Because you're sad, you're frustrated, and you're upset. And it feels, it feels like you're all alone. It feels like no one cares and especially not God. Because in your mind, the circumstance you're going through is so difficult that the only way that God can show that he cares is by changing the circumstance. And so you're frustrated and you're upset and you feel all alone and you feel like God doesn't care. But that's not true. See, see God is near you. God is close to you. This is what it says. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. See, if you can imagine again, like God is, God is your heavenly father. He cares about you. And we had this example of he's trying to teach you how to walk and so he backs away. But what does any, any good father do when he backs away and his son falls? What does the father do? He runs after his kid and he holds him in his arms. And he may not prevent the kid from falling, and the kid may still cry. But the father is near. And that's exactly what this guy is saying. He's saying the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You're not alone. And see, some of you think that when you made a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, that meant that all of your problems were going to go away. There's no more suffering, no more pain. And, and, and you almost feel like if there's pain or suffering, then either God's not real or he just doesn't care about me. And that's not true. See, God does not promise that you won't suffer. He promises that you will not suffer alone. Oh my gosh, this is huge. God does not promise that you will not suffer. He promises that you will not suffer alone. See, even his own son, Jesus, suffered. I mean, you know that, right? Like, Son of God, King of Kings, came to this earth and he suffered in more ways than many of us could imagine. And so when you're suffering, not only is God near you, 
but God knows. Like he knows personally what it's been like to suffer. Jesus knows. Like he gets it. In fact, that's why this writer says this in Hebrews. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Man, when you're suffering and you're frustrated, Jesus is looking at you saying, I know it hurts. I've literally been there. I know. I know. And then it goes on. It says, unable to sympathize. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when you suffer, you are not suffering alone. You have a heavenly father who suffers with you. And I saw this play out with one of my friends um, earlier this year. And I want to tell you uh, their story. But their story is still um, really fresh to me. And so uh, I'd ask that you would kind of give me a little bit of grace while I tell this story. Um, this is... Uh, these are some friends that were, um, they were with us in a small group when Catherine and I were living in Athens. And uh, just this past year, she, uh, the, the wife of the couple, started to blog about this specific situation that happened. And I just want to read a few excerpts um, from it. This is from early November of last year. She said, yesterday, at my 20-week checkup, we learned that this pregnancy that seemed to be perfectly normal and easy on the outside has gone terribly wrong on the inside. Via ultrasound, we learned that our sweet baby boy has a few things that need God's healing touch. Specifically, it looks like he has a heart defect. His liver and part of his abdomen have hemorrhaged outside his body around the umbilical cord. It looks like he may have a chromosomal disorder of which Two of the main ones they check for are fatal. We had an amniocentesis done to give us a better idea of what is wrong, and we'll find out the results within the next week. And then she asked um, those of us reading the blog to pray. And then the next week, we got this. Yesterday afternoon, we finally got the phone call we'd been waiting on, um, but it was not the news we were hoping for. Our genetic counselor told us the preliminary test results show that baby Jax does have trisomy 13, one of the fatal chromosomal disorders. At this point, there's still way more questions than answers, but the little we know about trisomy 13 is what I mentioned before, that he could live for a few weeks or months, but the likelihood of him making it to his first birthday is about a 5 to 10% chance. Uh, and then in January, she writes this, when we met with the midwife, she told us that it looks like things are beginning to deteriorate. Uh, her words are still running through my mind. She said that unfortunately, there's no way to estimate the time we have with baby Jax. He could pass away tomorrow, um, or I could carry him for six more weeks. But what she does seem pretty certain of is the fact that we will be saying goodbye to him much sooner than we would like. So despite everything we heard today, I fully believe with all my soul that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the great physician, has every power to turn Jackson's life around and give us the miracle we've been praying for, without a doubt. But I know that this little life he has given us thus far is not ours, 
and that his plan for Jax is one far better than one I could ever dream of. Having not known what to pray for during this time, do we pray that he lives? He would be severely handicapped. Is that any way to live? Do we pray for healing? Even the healing of his issues, heart, fingers, and toes, our, our bodies don't know how to function with an extra copy of the 13th chromosome. What would be next? I was relieved to come across the words of our Savior just before he was taken away to be hung on the cross. Luke twenty-two, forty-two. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So that is my prayer. That my heavenly Father take these things away from Jacks and make him whole. Let him live. Let him be a walking testament to the power of the Almighty. I know he can do this in an instant. But most of all, I pray that God's will would be done. His perfect plan would prevail. And that he would give us the strength and comfort we need to travel whichever path we travel. I lay jacks at the feet of Jesus every morning and I trust that God is in control. It is a level of surrender that I've never experienced before. That's all I know to do. As long as I keep that picture in mind, I have peace throughout the day and I'm free to enjoy life and everything in it. I don't have to worry about things. He carries that crushing burden for me. What a sweet Lord we serve. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Then in February of this year, she writes this. I saw these verses this morning. They were from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us and our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And then in March, she said, I'm thinking we don't have too much longer, which is both exciting and terrifying. I know that we'll never be ready for all that they say will happen. I'm praying that the Lord would remain near to us, that we would feel his presence in the coming days more than ever, and that he would fill us with joy, comfort, and peace, no matter what the circumstance. And then she writes this, Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And then on Sunday, March 9th, at 9.20 a.m., we finally got to meet our precious baby boy. We were unsure of what to expect. Would he be born alive? We've been told the labor is especially difficult on trisomy 13 babies. If he were born alive, how long would he live? Because of his heart issue, they told us to only expect a few minutes. We'd prayed all along that we would get to meet him and have some time with him, and that prayer was answered and then some. He was with us for two hours before he went to be with Jesus. When the time came, his chest started to rise a little more slowly. His heart rate was slowing down. The nurse listened to his chest and told us that our time with him was almost up. Everyone left the room and gave us those last minutes with him alone. We didn't know what to, ex to do except stare at him and hope that he knew just how much he was loved. We weren't ready for him to leave, but we knew he had to go. I think I rubbed a layer of skin off his poor little hand as I held him, dreading what was about to happen. After a little bit, we hadn't seen his chest rise anymore, so we called the nurse to check him again. His heart was still beating, but just barely. And then at 11.25 a.m., 
We called her back in, and he was gone. And so we sat with him in tears. And they did not sit alone. Because their heavenly father was there with them. And not only was he near to them when they suffered, but he knew. He knew what they were going through because he watched his son die before his very eyes. And so he knew what it meant to suffer. And so God told them, I know. I know it hurts. But you're not alone. Their heavenly father was with them. And so maybe for you, you're uh, like you're struggling and you're hurting and it feels like God has left the building, but he is near, just like he was near to them. And so the question that we always ask at the end of the night is, what will you do with the answers you heard today? Maybe there's some of you that you've been upset because God is, seems like he says no to your prayers more often than he says yes. And maybe for you it means coming to terms with the fact that there are some things that you're asking for that aren't good for you. And maybe there are some things that God has for you that's better than what you're asking for. Maybe for you it's that you don't feel like God is, 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 is near you. You don't feel God like he used to. And maybe today is a wake-up call. Maybe it's God saying, the reason you don't feel me is because you ran away. Or maybe you don't feel him as much because God is a few feet away from you saying, come here. Come here. Or maybe you're just like struggling and you're hurting. It feels like God isn't near. And today you need to know that he has not left you. In fact, he brought you here today so that you could know that he cares about you. And so I would love to pray for you right now. God, I love these students and I know that um, the disappointment that we have with you and the questions that we ask you are not always easy questions to answer. And maybe it feels like you've left the building and our prayers are hitting the ceiling and then bouncing back down. Or maybe we just long for the day when we could feel you like we used to feel you. God, I pray that you would give these students boldness to chase after you because a relationship with God is caught, is sought, not caught. It's by seeking after you. Or maybe there's students that need to know that you never promised that we wouldn't suffer, but you did promise that we would not suffer alone. And so as these students struggle, God, I, I pray that you would let them know that you are near. You are close to the brokenhearted. Those that are crushed in spirit have hope in you. So I thank you most of all for being our heavenly father and for loving us more than we could possibly imagine. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for us and, and that proves to us that you love us. I thank you that he knows, he knows,
what it's like to suffer. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.